0: For episode 31 of the Rugby Paper podcast, I am rejoined by Chris Hewitt and Nick Kane as we look ahead to the start of the United Rugby Championship. With particular focus on the Welsh regions, our special guest today is Ospreys head coach Toby Booth. Chris and Nick, great to see you again. And we're with Ospreys head coach Toby Booth. How are you doing? Good, thank you.
1: Good to speak to you. I know I can see you and no one else can, but uh, yeah, nice to see some old friends.
0: How is pre-season going? You're still in, you're in the latter stages now, aren't you?
1: Yeah, we're about 10 days away from um, URC1. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, Obviously a bit convoluted because we basically got our international players back sort of 10 days ago. Um, We've had under-20s come back in the middle of that. And obviously we've had a
0: group come back before that. How do you plan for a logistical, well, the logistics of players coming back in sort of dribs and drabs like that?
1: Uh, you've got to take an individual approach to the international program for sure because of um, uh, people have played different amounts of game time. People have had different exposures on summer tours, um, how much they played for you, uh, their age, level of understanding of what they need to prepare. Some players need more, some people will say less. So yeah it's all it's all a little bit of a bespoke thing really, depending on the individual. and as I say to Simon Church, my head of SNC, if you put them out there I'll train them. So <laughs> you know basically it's, it's a team approach you know from a medical physical uh, mental, it's there's lots of things it's not just about the rugby, but it has to be player centered for
0: sure. Looking back to last season, finished the highest of the Welsh regions in the table. this season you just beat Northampton State. Um, a few days ago now you've got the likes of Justin Tipperick coming back is the goal playoffs?
1: Yeah for sure I mean obviously I took over two seasons ago uh, they won two games they were at the bottom won two games so there was a massive transitional piece obviously um, and a rebuild and not just on the pitch but off it and getting everyone on the bus going to the same destination and all that sort of stuff Um, so that's been part of the journey if you like establishing an understanding developing parts of your game, recruiting to that identity that you want. You know, it's not as simple of just, right, we want to go this and we want to go that. For, so, for example, finishing the highest place Welsh region is a big thing in Wales. It's a big thing. And obviously now there's a, a shield to represent something. I know people would go, oh, you know, it's celebrating coming ninth and a bit. But for a young group... And we you know, are very much on record about developing our own players. Some people have never been in a position in a game that winner takes all and wins something tangible that you can touch at the end of it. So, yes, it gives you access into the Champions Cup, but also what it does is it gets people playing in high-pressure games and these you know, 20 to 23-year-olds, these boys that are now playing for something, in the moment you get to see how they deal with pressure. You get to see how they... So, it represents... A good milestone in the journey but as you say what we're trying to get to is uh you know the promised lands of playoffs and so knockout rugby with a view to in for sure do
2: you feel toby when you when, when you're playing particularly the um, particularly the irish provinces and and by extension now the, the, the south african sites do you feel as though so you're inhabiting the same planet in any sense
1: do you mean in relation to well comparable Jeff- from, their, uh, competitiveness, or I guess
2: their resources, the strength of their squads, the fact that they can rotate in ways that are an absolute luxury, probably compared with with, with what you guys in Wales are doing. Um, it just it just seems to me that you're 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 on a, an uphill track right, right from the start. Which is not to say that you can't get to the top for a second. But it does, there does seem to be quite an imbalance, you know, when you come from something like the Premiership, which operated under a salary cut.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we all know that even though there's rules, there's still disparity in it, you know, and, and some people get their fingers burnt if they push it too far. But yeah, certainly from a consistency in, as you say, from before a ball's been kicked, you know, from that side. I think I, I think the short answer is, is there's, there's two, a double-sided thing to this. We can't be afraid of the truth, and the expectation around that often lends itself from one to the other. And what's coming around the corner for Welsh Rugby, you know, we'll we'll wait to see what that gives us as well. But for the here and now, we've probably got the most competitive squad that I've had since I've been here, and we'll look where that takes us. So that's the glass half full bit. But we can't deny the fact that, I don't think from a financial point of view, the South African franchises, I don't know factually, but from what I understand and... From you know, agents and conversations. I don't think, from a wage cap point of view, for one of a better parlance, that we are disadvantaged there, but we are from a player resource point of view because of the strength and depth and the quality and the physicality and, and if you like, the athlete type of athletes that they have. I think that that's their point of difference, advantage, potential advantage. But from an RN point of view, if, if the numbers are, are quoted are correct, you know, you're, we're currently playing with a non-comparable. I mean, in relation to a third extra budget, and obviously a player base, and the rotation, and all the things that you talk about. So, is it an even deck? That no, isn't. But that's the deck we've got, and we'll make the best of it for sure.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very interested by what you uh, what you've said about the South African provinces in terms of their uh, sort of wage wage cap, which I think is probably certainly under everybody else in the urc maybe apart from uh, the welsh regions but what intrigues me is the is the idea that they have obviously their you know their schools games very strong and uh, as you say the quality of players that they keep on producing but wales has always struck me as being you know there does seem to be this this talent flow there as well you know and I think that sometimes we, and I don't know what your view is, is that we hide behind, you know, financial factors to a degree and are not concentrating enough on bringing through our talent and making sure that our school's game and so on is as strong as it can be. Do you agree with that? I think that without doubt there's a
1: factor in that. As you said, it's a multi-layered discussion, right? It's not just finance for sure. Um, there's physical suitability. you know everyone wants ball carriers, everyone's this. you know you look at the Celtic regions, the difference even within the Celtic regions, you know for, from a a, a, you know, a physical makeup if you like, there are less big people in Wales than there are in South Africa. If you add then the, the support structure behind that, or big players, sorry, not big people, big players. But if you if you had then the mechanisms to get them there, and the suitability, you know they're probably a better, streamlined, joined up approach to youth development for sure. Now since I've been here, and you know you both all know my history from London Irish, growing our own fifty percent Premiership finalists. The same attitude for Bath when I was there. It's something I really believe in, and we're probably two years down the track. So out of that comes Dowie Lake, for example. You know he he was you know an academy product that's now gone on to get international recognition which is something that i've done wherever i've been the program if you put enough quality into a good program you'll get stuff on the outside out the other end the challenge is what happens before they get into your program and that's where south africa schools the irish schools is so strong you know that what they're exposed to and I remember, you know, I spent a day with Arsene Wenger and, you know, one of the things that he talked about, you know, was his standardised stance of the basics. You know, he's on record of, if you can't pass, you shouldn't be here. And we still, if we can get more core skill element in there and a joined up approach to what professionalism looks like, preparation, learning how to prepare... You know, preparing to prepare and whatever that looks like from a technical, tactical point, not so much a tactical, but a technical point of view. I mean, carrying on with the Arsene Wenger conversation, when I spent with it, the time with him, you know, he had a very clear definition of what a player looks like at different ages. You know, it's interesting to me because my son's in Southampton's Football Academy since he's eight and he's still in it. But he, you know, the short analogy he gave was building a player was like building a house for him. So up until uh, they call it pre academy, up till 12, it was all about the technical side of the game. Get the get your technical side of the game right. And then he said, from that, and becomes, it's all about then getting physical suitability, get the outside walls put in. So you've got your foundations, you get your outside walls put in. He said, then when you get to like 15, 16, we start to have the internal walls, which he, he referred to as the, the tactical side of the game, understanding, learning the game, being a student of the game. And then he said, and then finally, when they get sort of 18, 19, the mental side, the psychological, is the mental toughness, the resilience, all those things that you're going to be exposed to, is the roof of, of your house. And as he said, and until they're, the quote was, until they're out in front of sixty thousand people at the Emirates, I don't know whether the roof's going to stay on or not. And what good is a house with no roof? Now he was talking about the mental side again, but that journey, if you go back to your original question, Nick was around what do we have to do to get players ready sooner or greater depth of players, greater volume of players? It's often about that. And also then there's the social cultural aspect, you know, there's a massive fallout of rugby itself. When contact starts, there's a massive fallout as well. When, you know, people discover university, social aspects, you know, we're battling against a lot of different things. So there's a lot that we can all do to make sure people play in the game at whatever level, and, but from a professional point of view, is there's certainly more. We can certainly be better, I believe, at getting people ready to be professionals and and give them a chance to thrive. There's certainly talent here uh, in Wales, from a specific point of view, without a doubt. And, and you know, we're doing our best to unearth it. It's what I believe in about growing your own. But again, it's it's very bespoke to every region and, and whether that's joined up at a national level with in the countries you, you allude to Ireland and, and South Africa it certainly is.
2: That, that that's a that's a really fascinating reply, Toby. And and as you've raised football, would I assume, and I only mention this because I just happened to see a bit of it on the TV, I watched Ajax play. Mm-hmm. They were absolutely renowned for their academy and their academy structure and the number of players they produce and every couple of years they lose half a team because these blokes are so, are so much the sort of finished product and they've, they've done it with such sort of tender loving care and they've done gone about it in exactly the way you describe i.e. the foundations of technique and then putting everything else on that, that that's mm. required but they lose half a team because... Like, by contrast to a Manchester City or a Newcastle, they don't have any money. I mean, not in not 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 in those terms. Would you do you prefer to work in the Ajax model or would you prefer to work in the Manchester City model?
1: Probably where I am in my career, I'd probably prefer to work the Manchester City model. <laughs> Only in the fact that Mike Ford once said to me, "If you want to be successful, get good players." And uh, <laughs> no. I... What, what my heart would go, I love growing my own players because of the emotional connection to it and it's what I enjoy doing. To stay employed as a head coach of an organisation, you have to win enough games and that's the reality and that's what we choose to do. That's part of the expectation. So, I mean, I'm being facetious because obviously as a Man City fan, as you know, Oh, yeah. you, you gave me an easy choice if it was Chelsea it might have been a different answer but um, no I think that trying to bear but, your soul nah. nah, 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 nah. I know there's a sweet spot in it right there's a sweet spot in it somewhere um, you need enough of one and another the London Irish was a great example so I had enough rock stars you know that we brought in so your map and and people like that and, and Tadji T- T- Thackenbell You know, and then you had Clark Dermody and people like that. And then you had your Nick Kennedys, your Dellen your Topsy Ojos, the boys that we brought through. And that was a really good balance because you can't substitute the emotional connection to being at a place for a long time and stuff that you grow up with. And that's what I love about the rugby side, where it differs to the football. There's no, you know, there's much less loyalty in football, as we all know, in the emotional connection and, and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm very much people first, player first. And EQ, you know, it's funny listening to Graham Potter carrying on with the football yesterday. He was talking about Brighton, you know, and about doing his Masters in EQ and something that obviously that I'm very big on. And it, as a result, it's no surprise that his players really enjoy working with him and he get, and he gets the maximum out of them. So I think that, that it's really about the who and why before the what and the when, you know. So from that point of view, it's about what you've got and, that, and their openness of, of, of to want to get better and challenge. And by default, then, if you perform consistently enough, you will find yourself in the final shake-up, which is, which is what's happened to me with Bath. It happened to me when I did England Saxons. It happened to me, you know, and that was a good challenge because of, you know, getting a team that you didn't know, so you had to foster relationships and styles of playing altogether. So that was a great challenge. I enjoyed that as part of my journey. Um, and obviously, you know, getting Bath with, you know, Working with Bath and getting them to finals and bits and pieces, and some would argue that you know it's part of the derailing of Bath in the current format is because you know they probably lost their way in some of those areas that we talk about. So, look, I think that I think that the the answer is you've got to believe in what you do, you've got to have the resources to be able to do it, you have to cut your cloth accordingly, but ultimately it's a player's game, and you've got to create the environment for the players to to, to thrive. You know.
0: One of the back to what, sorry, go on, Nick. I, I was going
3: to say one of the things about being at the Ospreys, I guess, Toby, is that you tell me, but I, I, I feel that it's always had a bit of an identity crisis. You know that, that that those amalgams. You know, Swansea and Neath, and and never the twain shall meet, sort of thing. And then yeah. you've got this Ospreys banner that's sort of meant to meant to bring them all together. Is it is it an issue for you? Have you got to create? that sort of identity from you know almost it's not from scratch now because obviously they've been there for some time but yeah. is it any easier if you like
1: that's a great question um it's certainly something that i was aware of i was made of or aware of but there's there's loads of different elements to that so for example the interface between when the there was talks of mergers and all sorts and lots of different stuff going on. So it was less around Neath and Swansea. It was more around Ospreys versus the world and the Scarlets and the WRU and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably changed from the original argument, which was certainly for, you know, I work with Duncan Jones, obviously Neath man through and through and, you know, he has, he has referenced the Swansea and (laughs) in different ways, Uh, but that's what makes it interesting. We have a lot of, you know, the, the, the player base now is very mixed. You know, we have, we have a, you know, we have certainly uh, different factions, as it were, but no, they're, they're very keyed into the Ospreys way and the identity that we're trying to, but I can't speak what was here before, but it was more worrying about the off field than the on field. So I think that if you've got a strong on-field, a strong direction, a strong belief towards where we're going, then that starts to take care of itself. And I think that then the outwardly facing stuff to the fans and the connections start to become, you know, more united. It's our job to try and unite that. However, you know, there is a tribalism to Welsh rugby for sure, you know, and you'd be naive not to understand that, both within a region and within, within the region. So... Well, as I said, Welsh derbies are, are very highly contested uh, and very, very important and, and takes a lot of emotional energy. You know, I compare that to derbies that I know, you know, Bath, Gloucester, Northampton and uh, and Leicester spring to mine and we get sort of six of them. <laughs> so you know, so it's, it does make it interesting, which is good, which is what we, it's, it's great. It's a great thing to have
2: it is to the osprey's credit i think toby isn't it that uh, of, of all the regions because it, it i mean it was it was it was done in a pretty weird way way back when i mean you had thenaty standing alone you had cardiff effectively standing alone newport very quickly came to sort of stand alone even though it was meant to be a merger the celtic warriors never never got pretty much gotten to get to the end of the first season and then Ospre- osprey should a one entity in welsh rugby where that kind of that, that dealing with those rival traditions and incorporating that tribalism and trying to get something positive out of that mix, it's been asked of you and almost nobody else. It's been, it's, the fact that Ospreys have been as successful yeah. as they are is is a real feather in the cap, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think the solutions to, to that, that challenge is interesting. So, you know, Ospreys were very successful at the, at, at the inception, right? And, you know, in the early days, because they basically, and, they became Australia, as they were affectionately known then. And, you know, they threw a lot of money at it. You know, they went down the Portsmouth route, really, or the Chelsea route, and threw a lot of money at it, were successful, but all of a sudden that wasn't sustainable and it disappeared. Whereas the financial backdrop, especially has been exaggerated and and multiplied through COVID, means, you know, I'm not sure those days will ever be in Welsh rugby again, if I'm honest. So we've got to find as I said, the sweet spot between, you know, being comp- highly competitive and high, high and have a very high development focus to get consistency in competition and development. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to solve the, solve the same thing, you know, in a slightly different way.
0: Going back to the tribalism in Welsh rugby that you quite rightly mentioned, obviously you guys were the top um, Welsh region last year. Does that mean that you see yourselves as sort of the flag bearer for said tribalism going into game number one against the Scarlers? No.
1: (laughs) The reason I can answer that so quickly, the one thing that has been so great about working here is how humble they are. And that would not sit comfortably as an organisation, even if we'd won the whole thing. And the the nature of the people, I can't talk for other regions, I can only talk for the quality of people that we have here. They are very humble and very work ethic focused and work from working class backgrounds. And we want a team that represents that, you know, from, you know, from the mining community, from the copper mines, you know, this is in trans, not in necessarily in the Ospreys, it's in the region. And we, you know, I'm on record about trying to get a team that represents the people in the region and what what they're used to. Um, So from that point of view, we certainly wouldn't see ourselves in that. In fact, we'd want to be as far under the radar, we'd be under the desk if we could be. But at some point in the moment, in the competition, competitive moments, we have to get our chests out a little bit um, and and be accept the fact that we've got to find a way to win and also believe in what we're doing, more forthright and, and be leaders in, instead of followers. And I think that you know that part of the cultural development of, of the young group is young leaders, but understand what you lead and lead in in the moment, and that's as far as we can go. The bottom line, the collective will always be this is the ospreys, being an ospreys player means X and we represent Y.
2: I wouldn't want to personalize it too much, Toby, because rugby is a team sport. But when I was watching Ospreys relatively regularly back in the day, I think hand on heart, I could not think of two players who gave
0: more of themselves,
2: sometimes in extreme adversity, to Ospreys and the Cools than Dan Bigger and Alan Wynne-Jones, who long before Bigger obviously pushed off in Northampton, Alan's still with you, um, long before the last couple of years, they could have gone for big money pretty much anywhere and were, were offered pretty much <laughs> places anywhere. Can you give us some idea, I mean, I know Dan had gone, I suppose, more or less by the time you turned up, Toby at it, it, it Osprey's, but Alan's still there. Can you give us some idea of how important it is to have senior players who can visibly give as much of themselves, not only on a, a Saturday afternoon or wherever it is you play, but also through the week? Because they seem to me to have been extraordinary contributors to a, quite a difficult team-building exercise.
1: Yeah, without doubt. Um, um, we're blessed that we've got a, lot, a number of them. So, Justin Tipperick, Dan Lydia, uh, Rhys Webb. And we've got the same attributes in some of the youngsters too. Rhys Davis, Morgan Morris, Will Griff, Jack Morgan, Dowie Lake, we, to name a few, uh, Gareth Thompson. So, you know, we contribute a third of the Welsh squad that went to South Africa, right? And a lot of those people that you talk about were on that. That's no coincidence because they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk and by definition then that's very infectious to your cultural group and what behaviors and performance behaviors is expected as an ospreys player or a member of the ospreys and as a result my job becomes more around replication and coercing that in the right direction to where it gets the most effect so your leadership group is really, really important. Where that becomes more difficult is when that leadership group puts itself, because there's a fine line in elite sport about being selfish and selfless. Uh, and the great thing for our group is they're very selfless and very giving. You have to pass the test to get in, into the in crowd. And one of the things that those boys that we talk about that we've mentioned, they've, those boys that have come through as the next Ospreys group, if you like, have been tested rigorously and continuously by the players that you mentioned and the players that I mentioned, the senior players that are in status. And once you pass that, then they'll give you absolutely everything they've got. And that is such a great, refreshing position to be in because you'll give, you're giving them the, the, the greatest uh, the greatest gifts, which is basically your time and their knowledge. And, and as a result, they'll get better quicker.
2: So that that dividing line between selflessness and selfishness, uh, I think illustrated by a former colleague of ours, a British lion, who once wrote in his newspaper, rather pointedly, I felt, they say there's no I in team, but there are two of them in winning. Which, <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> if there is a divide there, which um, which would you, which side would you fall on? Here?
1: I think performance-wise, the selfish bit is probably more aligned to they will never compromise their own standards in in the performance arena and how they get themselves prepared to do that. That's the selfish bit. The selfless bit is I appreciate that you might be in competition for my place, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And I now realise that you're prepared to put in the same effort or close to and commit as much as yourself to the Ospreys, as I've done, and that, that is your price of entry.
3: How much does um, does the, you talked about a third of the side that went, the Wales side that went to South Africa being from the Ospreys, how much does that international crossover create havoc with what you're trying to do at the Ospreys?
1: It, from a preparation point, makes it difficult. As I said at the start of this call, it's, it allows it to be problematic around with planning. Um, but we ask players to be uncomfortable and we as staff have to be uncomfortable as well. So it's not straightforward. So that's a challenge, but almost a good one about how we manage that interface and, and the reintegration for sure. And realistic about it. You know, you don't want to be... And the danger is as head coach, and I've made this mistake before, is all of a sudden, right, internationals come back, I've got reliance on X and Y and Z. If you've got... And that's why it... Dovetails into the bit around not being developing your own and not being reliant on just key individuals. I always think about Warren Gatland and, and Lawrence delalio uh, The conversation that you know that, that did the rounds. I don't know if it was official, but did the rounds was that yeah, Wasps had a hot, uh, had a habit of losing to Worcester away. And um, from what I understand, the conversations for some people that worked there at the time was these you can't, you can only give so much of your mental and emotional side of the game. There's only so much to go around. And it was almost the job of the squad to get people there. And then the big players will win you, win, will win you it. And it's on nights like that, you know, my experience in the Premiership, Worcester away, Newcastle away, people like that, where the expectation is not as threatening. It, it, that's where you are so reliant on the next depth of players, the next cabs off the rank, because you cannot keep getting yourself to that emotional state, relax, let alone the physical state, let alone the playing state. Right. So from that point of view, I think that, that that sort of encapsulates the challenge, if you like, that you have to come. It's not just a physical challenge, not just a, this is, we play this way, you play that way. It's not just the time frame. It's the engagement and the want to, to, of those players to do that, and I'm very fortunate that the players that we, we've been talking about—they all want to play for the Ospreys, they really do. And you know, that's not been the same everywhere I've been. And that it, almost you're in a position where you're trying to hold them back. They love playing for the Ospreys. They flew out to South Africa to play one game where we could have easily left them, but they were adamant they wanted to come post campaign. And that's a testament to the people that I've got here. And, and you know, and that, and that makes my job far easier.
0: Last year, 3 try tri-bonus points by the end of the season. I think I'm right in saying that they were in your last three games as well. I guess there are positive signs in terms of that. But if you look back on the season as a whole, three is probably a number you'd want to improve on. Brock James departed as attack coach. No new attack coach has been announced as far as I know. Now, you obviously have the firepower in the back line, no doubt. But why do you think it could only be partially unlocked last year?
1: I think that we were probably building other fundamentals of our game, for sure. Um, if you look at the, the world that I've come from, the world that we're now living in from a South African point of view, you know, your set piece has to be good. Your exits have to be good. Your skill sets have to be good. and And the attack, if you like, is often around what you create from what different situations. So I think that it's a natural progression. It's certainly bonus points are, you know, both attacking and losing are, are absolutely vital. And if you look at the noun, uh, as, you, as you rightly say, our ability to get into the playoffs were negated by bonus points. It weren't by wins. So from that point of view, there's a necessity to grow our game for sure. And we're very aware of that. Um, in relation to roles and responsibilities, um, we, we're doing things a little bit differently. I think because we are trying to develop individuals, develop the individual, develop the team, We've got coaches that are assigned to certain players and um, certain positional groups, and the expectation, even though you have leaders in particular areas, is that we we team. I think the modern player now requires a lot more attention in all aspects. So we have to team teach. Everyone has to know the same stuff. So we're so it gets good alignment, good challenge, and we're very much an all-in coaching group rather than just siloed roles, which I know is not as conventional as people. Would like to. I know that you'd love to me to go. Right, he's going to do this. And he yes, of course there is, and we'll make, you know, we'll make that known when we see fit. But for us, it's just about getting us ready and adapting little bits and pieces, not meteoric change, to be better at the things that we said that we would do, and getting the people comfortable in that knowledge. And then it comes down to the application of it, and then the accuracy of it. So from an attack point of view, we tweak some stuff that will make it more effective. Now we've got to show intensity and energy towards that and then we can measure how good we are. And that's where we need to change, not, not as, uh, as was quoted by Jürgen Klopp last night, reinventing Liverpool. It's about adapt and shift rather than chopping and changing.
0: Right, let's put Osprey's and rugby discussion on hold. I do want to get back to it and open the can of worms of the presence of... South African teams and Toby, your reflections on season number one. But first of all, it's time for your random rugby 15. Are you ready? Okay. Nickname. Very boring, but booby. Yeah. I don't need to ask why. Best rugby memory?
1: Uh, best rugby memory. Playing a township team in South Africa after the end of apartheid in 1993. That's very cool.
0: Most embarrassing rugby memory?
1: same tour losing the game of spoof having to swim across Cape Town Harbour
0: <laughs> what were you wearing when you were swimming can I ask uh, not very much <laughs> excellent pre-game tune
1: piano by Sweet. Uh, it's either Swedish House Mafia
0: or Eric Pride post-game meal
1: uh, post-game meal not good at despite appearances eating post-game yeah, not, not really a political to be fair.
0: Interesting. Best player you've played against?
1: Uh, Inga Tugamala. Played against him on a Tuesday night at the wreck on a rearranged game against, against Newcastle. Um, two kickoffs in a row. First time he ran over the top of me. Second time he stepped me in and put a pass. They scored off two kickoffs. Third time I went to the fly half, Sam Howard, and said, Do not kick here again. <laughs>
0: Best player you've played with?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. Probably Mike Friday. enjoyed Mike. He was a good friend of mine. Had a good, uh, a, a cheap, typical scrum half, very cheeky. Uh, Matty Stewart would be put up there as well. Very tough. Boys um, hardly sleep. Good, honest men that uh, enjoyed their craft.
0: He's still coaching out in the States. Yeah, Mike is. Yeah. 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 Nice. Favourite player right now?
1: Favorite player, probably. I would have said what he does in the game is is very special for a nine.
0: Rugby idol.
1: Rugby idol. Mickey Skinner would go mad if I didn't mention him because obviously he was a teammate of mine. So um, so Mick, Mick was good fun, uh, and obviously he was very iconic at the time. Um, probably Jean Pierre would be my would be my idol in that respect. Probably Jean Pierre
2: on the Skinner front, Toby, Idol is spelt, in this case I D O L. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, I've got a story about that. That's probably not for this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it could be. <laughs> and, yeah, it could be, but my friendship with Mick
1: probably wouldn't be the same. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Favorite stadium? Uh, I think the rec,
1: the the Wreck is a special stadium on match day. I think I, I really enjoyed that whole experience. Tough crowd at times, but um, anywhere, probably uh, that would. I enjoyed that from a favorite experience, probably uh, Millennium Stadium. I watched last time I watched New Zealand Wales there was, was a special atmosphere for sure.
0: Favorite gym exercise? Probably spinning. Nice. Occupation if rugby didn't exist? Spin instructor. I'm joking. I am actually a spin instructor. Now,
1: if it didn't exist, it would probably something in the, uh, I wouldn't go back to my old jobs of electrical engineering and and electrician, that's far too difficult. Um, I would probably do something around the exec coaching and business management side.
0: Are you actually a spin instructor? I am. Qualified? Yes. That's very impressive. Do you do classes for the team? Uh, no,
1: I have done previously, um, but I do take an online. So we did it in COVID. I used to teach at Bath. I taught for the tour when I was at London Ish. and some of the people I get online uh, on the weekend a couple of times. So we do an online one from time to time.
0: Oh well, that's something when rugby's done, you can sign up. But Peloton will get you on board. Uh, Peloton, not, not tough enough. <laughs> not t- <laughs> tough. Enough. <laughs> yeah, that's a call cool out superstitions. <laughs>
1: Not many, uh, to be fair. I can't think of anything that sort of jumps off the page. Um, But I do appreciate people are creatures of habit, for sure.
0: Rugby law you would change? I'm off the scrums. OK, yeah, we've had that one quite a bit. And the issue I've raised with it is, does that not mean that there's pressure off and the scrums could just take ages from a spectator point of view?
1: It could, but it also would mean the referee would have to referee him properly.
0: Let's hope so, yeah. Best thing about working in rugby?
1: Uh, working with like-minded people, for sure. Ambitious, competitive people that um, are prepared to be uncomfortable in in pursuit of achievement. Fantastic.
0: Great. Thank you for doing that, Toby. You're welcome. I want to open the can of worms of the South African provinces in their first season. So the first season since South African teams have cut ties from the Southern Hemisphere Super Rugby competition. Now, we had Eddie Butler on and he was able to sort of offer his season view from away in terms of the competitiveness of the URC as a result but what's your take on what was your take on season number one and how the whole transition went?
1: I think the big picture is I think it's better for Welsh rugby because eventually you're going to play South Africa so learning about them and their attitude game, I think it gives you a good insight in to relation to to that competitive element at an international level. So I think there's some added value there. I think that that you're playing against people that another team that, that rugby is a massive staple of their national sport uh, in relation to the competitiveness. So I think you need to maintain your competitiveness against the best, which I think is good from an attitude and from a fan perspective. Um, and also I think that the nature of the athletes that you're coming up against mean that you will have to find a way to win against different challenges. So, yeah, I absolutely welcome it. I think that the, the, it's a massive challenge. I make no secret about that, but um, I think it adds more, more credibility to the URC as a competition as well. So I think that, you know, generally that from a spectator point of view, despite the logistical issues, I think that from a, an attractiveness from a TV point of view, You know, you get to see different people, people that are, you know, very impactful on games. And I think that can only be a good thing.
0: Do we think that there was a rise in stand? Like, based on the season before, I know there was a reduced number of game rounds. But did you notice an increase in competitiveness and therefore demand on your players? Added to the travel stress, of course.
1: I think that the baseline standards have to be good anyway. I don't think there's any... I don't think if (laughs) you... If you're not at the races mentally and physically, you're going to get found out in any sport, and especially in rugby, because of the collision aspect of it. Right? And the one thing that, they, that the South African boys bring is a degree of physicality and a degree of intense intensity. Uh, so as a result, by default, you're conditioning yourself to be more consistent, and that can only be a good thing for both. Individuals and the team that you're playing against, because that's if you want to be competitive and win things, it's a, it's often about the consistency element, not about you know a one-off game. So I think there's lots of added value, as well as challenging yourself from a style of play and an execution point of view against people that are big, fast, and going to put you under pressure. So yeah, I, I think that the that by default, then the standard raises for sure.
2: Do Do you think, Toby, that uh, with the South Africans involved? cross hemisphere now full-time pretty much uh, in in the clan and provincial sense are we moving inexorably towards the growth of some people call it super league rugby or international league rugby do you think that there's there's more mileage in the increased mileage, so to speak. Is, is, is that the way we're drifting? Because there's often, you know, there's long been talk of of a European league in rugby, hasn't there? I mean, I'm not sure it's ever had that many that much legs, but there's, there's it's always it's always been mentioned. It's always been the subject of discussion amongst pretty influential people in the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I well whether it will ever get to it. I mean, it's a bit like the Super League in football that was wrapped and obviously the traditionists and how it has done all this sort of stuff, you know, goes up in arms. I completely agree with that. I think that we've got a lot of that with the US element, but also if you think about then the European tournaments get you closer to that and the South African involvement in that, you're getting closer to that anyway. I think the biggest issue is actually not for us. I think it's for the Southern Hemisphere team for New Zealand and Australia not playing against South Africa and having less, if you like, more Northern, Northern Hemisphere type teams means they, they're going to have to be more adaptable. So they're not getting the exposure that they were used to. So I think actually, for our point of view, it, it lends itself all the way up the chain. But the repercussion on the Southern Hemisphere side might be a little bit more reaching as well.
2: What, 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 what do you think it says, Toby, about, about South African rugby that, and we all know New Zealand policy on picking people playing abroad, um, Australia are forever in a mess on this subject. I mean, that that system changes every week. We're back to a stage where the best Argentine players are pretty, are pretty much all abroad, having kept them all at home for a period of time unproductively, as it turned out. South Africa just seemed to be in this extraordinary position where they... <laughs> They can just let them go wherever wherever they like, almost whenever they like, as long as they're available at the real sharp end. And then they get them together and are amazingly competitive with comparatively little preparation or preparation time, it seems. What's your view on, on the the split between those who, who just want real player protectionism and everyone on shore if they're going to play international rugby and those like South Africa who take the opposite view?
1: South Africa IACs, right? As one leaves, another one takes its place to the same standard. Uh, and they're comfortable with that because they're growing their player base and they're growing their availability in their player pool. So they have a very much uh, sort of open book policy on that. And the thing that drives this is actually the individual. people need. Professional rugby players need to earn money, right? And commercially, to, domestic leagues need to be able to support themselves um, so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't in a way, because you don't want to devalue that, but you also want your same cloud and you want to win. So you're, you're trying to fight three different things at once, which is very difficult. My own personal view is, and obviously this is easy to say in the position of what I think, but as a head coach, it he probably contradicts that because you need to still win and be competitive. So it comes back to that original point. You need enough competitive squad members to maintain your competitiveness. If someone leaves you for you know, a gazillion dollar contract, then you know you can't actually control that. Um, but I think where the South African model works for their output as a nation, as in the Springboks, they keep it pretty, pretty simple right so the interface of getting people back reintegrated is is more and actually there is a connection between how the provinces play and how the internet, they have an influence which is very similar to the not to the same degree to the irish model yeah so there's probably some lessons in there however we know that will never take place in the premiership in england for example because the clubs own the game in relation to you're not going to tell but and you need that diversity so i don't think anyone's going to go and watch robot rugby every play team play like this every team play like that every team. you've got to have that diversity i think you know looking at the world thing which we're, we're trying to get more players of a, of of a better standard and you can pick the nuances around that and you know whoever plays and i think that's the sweet spot but I, i'm not a person that believes potentially everyone has to be playing in your domestic league. Because I think actually the, diver- the, the diversity you get from different experiences mean that you get greater intangibles, leadership, situational recognition, all things like that. So, yeah, I think there's, there's as, again, as I've said throughout this, there's probably a sweet spot in there somewhere. But I think the things are constructed to be complementary for sure.
2: I think, Toby, that generally speaking, sort of travel broadens the mind for players. I mean, is Zach Mercer going to come back to England a better player?
1: Well, by default, he's had more experience and he's older. So, if those things are positive, and even if they're negative, he now knows more about what he likes and what he doesn't like, and what himself. And self-awareness precedes choice for me. So, from that point of view, you know, I consider at fifty-two years old with a lot of more experience, and go, I know this works for me, that works for me, and this works, and that's the beauty of experience, right? I'm reps without risk. So, I think that those experiences. potentially make people better or certainly more aware. So I think that, you know, that's that's part of it. I don't think that, I think that whether you play home or abroad, there's enough quality coaches, programs, competitions to play in. It's just how important that player is to you at that given time or to that head coach and also what the financial element that's associated to it. We play a game that's very collision-based. I don't begrudge anyone earning money at all because it can be over in a heartbeat. You know, we're not talking about football numbers, so I understand it. And the the challenge is is that balance, the balance between longevity, for the the connection between doing something that you love doing with people you like doing, and earning enough money at you know within the time frame. And and I get that. I get that.
3: Toby, can you tell us something about the uh, the logistics of um, of the South Africans coming in? How many times are you going to have to go down there? What sort of periods of time you had experience of it obviously last season uh yeah. how did you know how did how how did you tackle the experience and what were the benefits of it and what well, were the think, what was the downside if any well,
1: i think there's you know as, as i've said i try and see the positives in most what the urc have done very cleverly i think is they've, they've understood that the format even though it looks a little bit more convoluted can benefit the logistical element to it so we only go down there once Okay, for a two-week window. Now, that might affect it like it does this year. That comes at the end of a South of a international block, so the likelihood is we won't be able to take our international players to South Africa. Which, when they, but they're just finishing their bits as well. So who knows? So I think that that's good, and and it's the reciprocal coming the other way. Um, so you, you're in a situation where you come up here, you come up here, they come down, or you go down there for a two-week window. So that makes it more palatable for sure. And the opportunity that gives you is to be away, in a, effectively like a mini camp scenario where you can spend some good time, some good team building stuff, as well as preparing for teams. So I think that there is some added value in it. It's not ideal. Of course it's not ideal. But I think that there's some added value in, in the, how it's been we need to get we went down there and realized that the game is different playing in South Africa than it is playing up here for sure and they did the same when they came up here earlier on so i think that it'll be interesting how they, that pans out over the next couple of seasons where how many what is rep, you know what is successful performance what does it look like home and away because i think that is the biggest thing the biggest challenge is it is completely different the surface is different the conditions are different the athletes are different and that's a great challenge for, for everyone concerned.
3: Do you think that they'll um they'll clean up in the way in which they did last season, you know, two final, two finalists on the first outing?
1: Finalists three in the three in the playoffs, and the, the fourth one wasn't too far away. That tells you about the what the challenges for us all. So they're not gonna get weaker, let's put it that way. And it's our challenge to get to match the standard.
2: You know? yeah. does Is the ball fly a- further in Pretoria than it does in the Mumbles, Toby?
1: Yeah. Especially when the wind's coming off the sea. The ball goes behind you, most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's another example, you know, for a new experience for, for for a lot of players. Playing at altitude, right? So, you know, playing against the Lions away was, honestly, it was like a retreat from Moscow. It was unbelievable after 30 minutes. But... You find a way, resilience, you come back into the contest and, you know, that you find more about your players. So, as I said, I try and sort of find the added value even in defeat.
0: Is the South African performance, like you say, three in the playoffs, two in the final, the other one not too far away. Is that in the first season, which you know, when we had Eddie Butler on, we build it as a very much transition stage and they started slowly in September, October, and then they found their feet towards the latter half of the season. You say that it's obviously very good in terms of the players acclimatising to playing that level, but is that also a slight concern in terms of the potential that the South African provinces have for just total dominance in the URC?
1: That, then that gives everyone a choice, right? You've got a choice of trying to meet that challenge and whatever that challenge looks like from resources, player base, squad sizes, how you play, the sort of game you play, whether it's transferable, that's the challenge, and that's what happens in all sports. Like having two two players of similar standard but different attributes in a position, you've got to you've got to take some of what they do and adapt it into your game to make yourself better, and and, and vice versa. And that's what we all have to do. Not just us, the Scottish, the Irish, the everything. And you know, it's a common theme for both sides of it. But the game will be better. The coaching meet needs then to be better and more more aligned. The athletes need to be more rounded. The athletes need to have better, you know, will require different skills. And that's how the game standards moves forward. And, and we get a better game at the end
0: of it. But say those adjustments are not necessarily not possible, but, but a very difficult hill to climb. You take the Man City example for the moment. They seem to be, and I'm not a Man City fan, so I hate saying this, but with the addition of Harlem, they seem to be, you know, the complete team by this point. Should they go and just romp to a Premier League another Premier League title with almost zero challenge from the spectator's perspective, spectator would feel a little bit begrudged by the end of the season. Could this not go down a similar avenue? If you
1: ask the Stormers crowd, they'd probably say no, right?
0: Yeah, but the primary bulk of spectators for the URC is not just the Stormers crowd.
1: No, but our job is to... I believe we're in the entertainment business, right? I think how we play... And, our, and, you know, this is, this can start from the laws of the game to how they're applied to how you coach to your players' attitude. It's such a, a wide thing. But ultimately, we need people who want to watch it, people that want to contribute to it, because that's effectively where the financial element comes in. We can, we're not a single entity anymore. It's a multidisciplinary or, a, you know, sort of all-connected um, virtuous circle, if you like. So we need to be mindful of that. But for us as a coach, all we can do is condition and challenge ourselves about what's in front of us and see where that gets us. Yes, there's not enough money to go around to them. Right? I need to go and buy a man. That 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 doesn't exist. That does not exist, even in France, where it's where it's traditionally was sort of operated at. Yet, yeah, if you have got thirty million or twenty million dollar uh, million euro squad, the chances are you're going to do pretty well against a five million one. one. However, why we love sport is for the unpredictability. Part of the entertainment is the unpredictability. Everyone loves an underdog story. Everyone loves all of those bits and pieces. And that is the emotion that drives us. And I think that it's somewhat above my pay grade to, to sort out the ultimate entertainment and whether people think that, oh, it's, it's you know, these two teams are going to get through like a, like a premiership football model then the others then have a choice. And the people that own those entities have a choice. They either understand the expectation uh, and want to go there and sustainably go there because no one wants people to to disappear for sure, but it's still a choice. And and ultimately that's made by the people in the financial side often and and the planning and the strategic element of the business and the competition, not by head coaches. Head coaches will coach what's in front of them and what the best make the best fit of what they've got.
3: Difficult to entertain Toby in this game, at least successfully, without having the bedrock up front. I'm sort of looking at, um, at what you're doing at the Ospreys. You see, you mentioned Dowie Lake uh, earlier on, Gareth Thomas as well. Going through, are you are you confident you're building the sort of pack that can. Um, you know, can can stand with the South Africans.
1: Well, that's the challenge. We, you know, we've got the best scrum percentages. Duncan Jones coaches the scrum here. You know, best scrum percentages in the league. So statistics support that. However, our most uncomfortable afternoons have been against South African opposition for sure. Now, there's lots of dimensions to that. You know, what we want to do, what they want to do, how it's refereed, X, y and Z. and adaptability and adapting to the situation is part of being a, a good rugby player, right? So I think that I think that that's a constant challenge and, you know, the lawmakers, and where it normally goes, coaches adjust to the law, the referees then adjust and then the lawmakers tweak something or emphasis tweak, not the lawmakers, but the things get tweaked and that's that vicious circle and that's where coaches try and stay in front of. So, yeah, I mean, the, the skullduggery part of it is all part of it and, I mean, the one thing we do want the, the those elements to be is is safer, and there's a lot of stuff that going on to make player safety part of that, which is which is great. I've already talked about. I think it, 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 it takes too long to to get the ball back in play. You go back to the entertainment and ball in play to be up as high as we can get
3: it. Right. Can you just explain to me one thing about the about uh, go, going back to the scrum, it, you know, and this convoluted ex, uh, um, engage process. And then you go back, you know, anybody who looks at, you know, I mean, all our yesterday stuff, but looks at the 74 Lions or something like that, and you see them. there's as passive as any scrummaging gets, there's a fold in, there's no refereeing involvement in it at all. And the scrum is done within, you know, 30 seconds or less sometimes. Yeah. What what is? I mean, I understand that all these protocols, engagement protocols, are all about making it safer. But then you see the bloody thing go to ground, you know, three or four times on the trot, and you're thinking, well, really, what 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 is the problem with going back to the way that the scrum used to be set? As long as it's it's passive, as passive as it can be, and the real power doesn't come on until the put in. What I, I don't I don't see the issue. Can you, can you sort of illuminate? Nick, Nick this
1: might be one of those times where we don't see the same things the same way. Okay. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you any any further okay. <laughs> in relation to for every and, and what I mean by that is for every good scrum in then and now, you can find five bad ones. You know, people charging in, people doing whatever. You know, and I, the interesting from the medical protocol about where these people are now, and what the, and what they look like post rugby. So, I think that there's a multi. I think that sort of comparison is 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 difficult. One of the one of the things I think as well is professional athletes now are ridiculously fit, and along with the fact that we can substitute a whole front row and a, one of the second rows on normally to maintain. A physical capability. So it used to be around just a natural fizzling out of energy and those things aren't there. Professional athletes completely different. You know, we've got 125, 130-kilo guys that can run, you know, very fast, very quickly, can hit things repeatedly for 50, 60 minutes. No doubt about it. But and why not
3: 80? Well,
1: they can. They can run 80. But those guys, relative to what they, they have to do in that – I don't know what pack weights were then. For example, you know, the we're, we're looking at 900 kilos coming together, okay, from effectively a 60 centimeter gap. That's what we're looking at. And if that's not done safely, there's a massive repercussion. So the player safety thing has to be part of it. Where I do agree with you is we do we don't want resets, resets, resets. So what is it? so yes, why why uh, as well as safety, I think there's there's the Scrum process, and I, I appreciate that it's not perfect. I think we'll all, we're definitely in agreement with that because we both want the same thing, is we need to make it as simple and as clean as we can. And where I think it becomes more difficult is what the referees and now the team of three, the ARs look at in relation to making a decision. The one thing I think where we need to be better as a group, and we play as coaches, we play into this. It's not solely on the on the referee because it's what we coach and what we're prepared to coach and what we're encouraged to coach and, and all the things that we talk about, is there has to be a decision. There should never be full resets. Never, right? And you can't go, well, after throwing with a penal or something, you've got to be accurate because ultimately the, the, the referee hotline on a Monday morning is going berserk if it's not accurate. And that's part, you know, part of the... TMO conversation and the VAR conversation that goes on. We want to keep the power with the referee, but we want accuracy and consistency. So we I think we I think everyone plays a part. I think we need to be more decisive. Uh, and to be decisive, we need a stage process which allows us to make decisions at any process, any part of that process. And be brave. That, uh, and I had a conversation with some referees, not just about this wasn't about scrums, but generally is. Referees, I think, or not just referees, anybody, if you try and manage a situation, sometimes it sort of ebbs and flows into a grey area. Let's be decisive and black and white and set our stall out and let the players adapt rather than trying to manage a situation. It's not be clear on what we are going to referee, be clear on the triggers, and then that gives the choice back to the coaches and the players. And I think if we can do that and maintain the high level of intent on safety, both in the moment and for the long term, I think that we'll get more play from scrums. I think we'll get less time, dead time in the game, going back to the entertainment thing. But it's a multi-layer thing that we all have responsibility to do.
2: Talking of pack weights, Toby, I I did some research on this, so there's a first time for everything. I think I'm right in saying that if you compare the 71 Lions in New Zealand and the 2017 Lions in New Zealand, the only... Player in that Lions side who could get into the 2017 Lions on weight, i.e., everyone else was heavy and heavier, was Gordon Brown. Really, the only only guy. I don't know what's more more amazing, that
1: fact or the fact you've done some research.
2: Well, 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 both, Toby, and thank you for that. But it's um, (laughs) but I mean, Willie John McBride was lighter than the Lions' wings. Yeah, Gordon Brown's the only guy who could get in the side on weight, it's
1: and a, uh, that that brings another question: Nick is whether the gains around power or and skill, just power or skill or both, and that that's where, you know, that's where the real issue lies from an entertainment point of view,
3: I think, and, and attrition as well, Toby. Yeah, because well, you know, obviously yeah. We're, we're talking about. I mean, they're two stone at least heavier per man. Mm. Um, but, as well, as well. <laughs> but if they were all of them, if there were no, if, if there were only front row replacements for injury, we got rid of, the, we got rid of the bench and rid of that power aspect to a degree. We get back to lighter players. The front row forwards would be lighter because they'd have to, they'd have to run for the full 80 every game. And so some of the power quotient would go out of it. Um, so that is another. I guess that's another route.
1: Yeah, you could talk about that, but then the, the first one, then you go back to entertainment. Is we don't want this game to be purely about survival of the fittest. We want a maintainer of standard to allow teams to determine through skill and ability, right? Not just yeah. physical. Practice. So it's all. It's like I said. It's much a much layered thing because basically, then the t- you know as a as a, an argument, we go right. Okay, so. We know we're not going to substitute them. We need to make them fitter. We're just kicking the can down the road, really. We're not actually coming with a solution. We're just managing a symptom. And I think that, that that's the difficult decision, the difficult part of where it fits into the, the game itself as the entertainment business.
3: Yeah. We don't want, we don't want rugby league scrums, right? No. Being like, I mean, yeah. the greatest thing of all is to see, you know, back row moves again, you know, the ball being played off the scrum. Quickly, best attacking ball that you can get in some way. Exactly.
1: And you can make different laws or interpretations to make playing away from scrums more exciting. You know, you could give greater reward. I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, certainly wherever I've been, whether it be URC, Premiership, clubs, no scrum, no chance. That hasn't changed. If you can't scrummage, you can't fight in that area. And it's, you know, we do studies about... Is in it's in the top five correlations of Scrum performance. Is in the top five predictors of of outcome of win. So, so. here's a here's,
2: here's a question, a, a, a jocular question for you, Toby, on this on this whole sort of size power dynamic thing. Yep. Oliver mentioned Manchester City just now and used the H word, Harland. This goes to the heart of what you are as a coach. In fact, this says everything about you, Toby. <laughs> the answer to this question no pressure. Do you play Harland in rugby as a tractor second row, a number eight, or a truck it up inside centre?
1: Matt Banahan. Matt Banahan, right? So I, th- I discovered Matt Banahan in Jersey. He's on record of saying that as a second row. Um, it became fairly evident very quickly that he didn't really have the appetite for being in the tractor as you put it Uh, Brian Ashton who was much wiser than me brought him to uh, brought him to Bath put him on the wing with um, I think Brian Ashton or might have been it might have been somebody else I want to give the credit to whoever it was Uh, and then 12 months later he's playing for England on the wing so The Toby Booth of then would probably be, no, he plays in that position, that's what he does. The Toby Booth would now go, best attributes to have the greatest influence on the game. Do,
2: Do you ever feel guilty, Toby, on this subject, of bringing somebody like Matt Banahan across to a country where he had to pay tax?
1: If I speak to his wife... She, she held me responsible for basically, uh, you know, making Matt banahan part of her life. So that's the tax bit of less consequence, to be fair. No, Banners is obviously uh, a great example because he's, he's the exception rather than the rule. And um, uh, it's, it's a great story for me because it taught me a massive lesson as, you know, we, we manipulate people's positions more on physical suitability and also personality rather than just the stereotype of he looks like this so he must be that
0: i think we should wrap up there to be honest on the banahan harland comparison i think that's a great <laughs> note to wrap to wrap up on so toby it's, i want to wish it's, you it's,
2: it's not a comparison i expected to hear frankly
0: no me neither well it can <laughs> me neither. Uh, we're in the entertainment business <laughs> So, Toby, I want to wish you well with the Ospreys this season. Um, It sounds like you're in a very, very good place. And let's hope for a great season for the United Rugby Championship.
1: Thank you very much. Gentlemen, Nick, Chris, it's lovely to see you again. It's been a while. It's lovely to see you.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. Take care, mate. Remember that the rugby paper is available in stores on Sundays or you can get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. Welcoming on none other than Bath and Scotland Centre Cameron Redpath.